Friends, there's an intense battle going on right now in Israel over a brand new Hebrew-speaking outreach channel devoted to reaching Jews with the message of Jesus. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thursday, I guess someone decided to start with Jewish music right out of the gate. We normally wait for the second, third, and fourth segments for that. But yes, it is Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Michael Brown, thrilled to be with you. So here's what it means today. If you have any Jewish-related question of any kind related to the Hebrew Bible, Hebrew language, Judaism, Jewish tradition, Israel today— any Jewish-related question, phone lines are wide open. And I'm looking, and they're wide open. Sometimes we're slammed with calls the moment we start. But phone lines are wide open. So if you have a question for me, by all means, give me a call, 866-34-TRUTH. And those of you who bash us and insult us and malign us and mock us and slander us and even libel us online, I mean, you know, every kind of garbage, lie, nonsense, call Let's have a talk. Let's let's have a discussion. Tell me why I'm <laughs> excuse me so wrong on so many of these critically important issues. I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, I would. Do you think you're gonna call? Nah, nah. Easier to hide behind a keyboard, hide behind a screen, than have your views openly exposed. But if you're so sure, I'm in error. I mean, we did whole shows. Your black Hebrew Israelite calling and get almost no calls and set up critics for the call and almost no one calls. But phone lines are open. And you may just have a good question or comment, whatever. 866-34-TRUTH. Okay, some big news from Israel. The Israeli Supreme Court has ruled 11 to 0, so totally unanimous. The Israeli Supreme Court has ruled that Netanyahu, Gantz, can form a unity government. So Likud and Blue and White, the two leading parties, three elections, no clear winner emerged, no clear coalition emerged. Again, the Israeli government, you ultimately, in the elections, you ultimately wrote for a party led by a well-known leader. So Likud led by Netanyahu and, and Blue and White led by Gantz. But you vote for a party, and then your party has to work with other parties to then get a coalition so you have enough votes to form a majority government. If Likud and Blue and White would work together, great, they've got their majority right there. But they had too many differences, and Benny Gantz said, no way will we work together with Netanyahu, and, and he's under indictment, and so on. And it ended up, to the surprise of many, Gantz said, okay, we'll work together. And Netanyahu will be prime minister for two years, and then Gantz prime minister for two years, but they'll be in office the whole time. So there was a protest saying, no, 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 this is not right, because Netanyahu's under indictment. There are charges pending against him, rulings that could be coming against him, trials, etc. So you can't form a unity government based on that, because he's an indicted man. The Supreme Court said nothing to it, 11 to nothing, nothing to it. So this will now go forward with the unity government, which will be very interesting to see which way it goes. 
that's all I can say right now. There's so many moving pieces to put in place and who's going to be appointed over what departments and how things are going to be shared. Very, very interesting. But uh, I think they felt in the midst of the coronavirus crisis and everything going on, they could not allow the government to just be paralyzed. They could not allow it to stay paralyzed and not really functioning without a clear mandate. And some would say that Netanyahu's just constant campaigning and pushed this war gaunts out and said, okay, fine, we'll work together. Either way, I think it's positive that that's moving forward. I think it's positive. Um, the other really big news from Israel that concerns me as a Messianic Jew has to do with our friends at God TV. The president and CEO of God TV is Ward Simpson. Ward is a close personal friend, friends with other members of his family and his mom and dad. Ward was a student of ours, graduated from Brownsville Revival School of Ministry in Pensacola, uh, became the executive director of our School of Ministry. We've been dear friends for many years. And God's raised Ward up a great business sense, but a strong Christian leader to lead God TV. And he really felt strongly from the Lord to keep shifting the network to have a threefold emphasis. And, and as he was praying about it one day, the Lord spoke to his heart, what's important to you? What are the burdens important to you? Where it said, well, Israel, and then revival, and then souls, you know, salvation of the lost. And, and he felt the Lord's affirmation, like, yes, that's what I want God TV to stand for. Uh, because Ward was trying to think, how can I convey our vision, our burden, in a real simple way, in a real, real simple way? So we got these themes, Israel, revival, souls. And then he just felt the Lord say, rearrange the letters, because you don't want IRS to be your slogan. So S-I-R, souls, Israel, revival, which spells sir. And what the Lord laid on his heart is just get up in the morning and say, yes, sir, yes, sir. Tell your staff, your pe- yes, sir, souls, Israel, Revival. So, God TV, with the generous support of one businessman in particular, but the help from many, many listeners and viewers around the world, uh, purchased a station in Israel on the HOT, H O T network, which gets into, I think, 700,000 homes. And it is called Shalanu, which means ours. Shalanu, literally of, of us, ours in Hebrew. And it is the first ever Jewish outreach Christian network in Israel that is Hebrew-speaking. Now, there are other networks, Christian networks and other, that broadcast the gospel in in Israel as part of their Christian programming and and other outreach that they do. But this is the first that is Hebrew-only, Hebrew-speaking. So Israelis preaching to fellow Israelis about Yeshua, about the Messiah. So what happened was when word got out about this, they went through the proper channels and they made their announcements uh, after they got approval to do this. And the, the minister, the uh, not, not gospel minister, but governmental minister that approved this did not take it to his committee. He just approved it on his own. So he's really under attack for this now because it is illegal in Israel to proselytize a minor. So you cannot try to win someone to religion if they're under 18. And it is illegal to offer financial incentive. This is allegedly what missionaries would do, you know, falsely accused in many cases. And, you know, here's your incentive. So you can't do that. 
I can't say, hey, listen, I want to uh, want to help you with five hundred dollars for your you know for your business if you'll become a believer. I mean, who would think of that? But that's illegal, and it's illegal also to proselytize a minor. But otherwise, you can freely speak the gospel, you can share the gospel. There's nothing illegal about doing that. But now there's tremendous backlash, and it's been reported in all the major publications, Haaretz, Jerusalem Post, uh, Times of Israel. So there's tremendous attention on this. And, and what God TV is saying is, hey, we went through due process here. We just want to go through due process. If you want to cancel the contract, there's a right and wrong way to do this. We believe we are in the right. And the Ward has said, hey, if we were doing anything sneaky, we wouldn't have announced it to the whole world. Uh, let me show you a couple of clips from Ward sharing the announcement of what happened and, and, and the open door, the amazing open door. This is the announcement now that, that how Aritz and others are playing in full. And by the way, in the middle of maybe this 10, 12-minute video, Ward Simpson plays the clip of me having a confrontation with other Orthodox Jews in Jerusalem uh, almost two years ago. He actually plays that clip front and center say, hey, here's some of what happens on the streets. Let's, let's uh, watch and listen to Ward Simpson. We're going to preach the Jewish Jesus to the nation of Israel. Both Jew and Arab are going to hear the gospel presented to them in their native tongue. This is historic. This is supernatural. And this is God-ordained, and we want you to be part of history in the making. Friends, never before in the history of the world that we can tell has the gospel ever been preached in Hebrew on cable television in Israel. Be a part of it. Help us. Right, so he's being pretty overt, pretty open, pretty clear, pretty definite. Uh, he's he's not, you know, we're we're just going to edify the believer. No, he's saying this is what we're doing, and they made it plain from day one. And by the way, Ward is not trying to back down. Ward is not trying to say, no, no, no. No, he's saying, hey, we're coming in openly, honestly. This is who we are, and this is our whole purpose to be on a Hebrew-speaking channel for Israelis. This is part of the promotional video that they put out. Let's listen to a little bit more. An extraordinary God-breathed opportunity has opened for God TV to launch a Hebrew-speaking channel into Israel called Shalanu. Shalanu is Hebrew for hours. For the first time ever, the Jewish people will be reached with the gospel in their own language on Israeli television. The deal has been made. The contracts are signed. Let's stand together as the God TV family to be part of this hugely, prophetically significant moment in time. This channel will be a powerful tool in the hands of underfunded messianic congregations empowering them to reach their people with the good news of Yeshua. An unprecedented, biblically prophesied mission field exists within the land of Israel. Be part of this once-in-a-lifetime project. Call the number on your screen or visit god.tv slash donate. Hey, come on. That, that's inspiring, isn't it? And, and it's not getting Jews to stop being Jews or to break away from their heritage. It's saying, as a Jew... As part of this historic people living in this historic land, recognize Jesus, Yeshua, as the Messiah. That's what the message is in Hebrew. Some of my best friends in the world are part of this, involved with it, putting together footage that will be uh, programs that will be sent out. And the Ask Me Anything program, the five-minute daily program that we did for God TV, answering hundreds of questions, that's being turned into Hebrew. 
And I told them, listen, if you want, if Israelis start sending in their questions, I'll, we'll, we'll record just for Israel. We'll record just for them. Now, my modern Hebrew is not good enough to do that at the moment, but I'm, I'm working on that. I'm working on trying to get my modern Hebrew uh, where it needs to be so I can preach in Hebrew. It's one thing if we were just using biblical Hebrew, but to preach, we're working on that. But in any case, a pray for God's will. Pray that the door that is open that no one can shut. Pray for that. God has opened a door. Pray that no one will shut it. Right now, it's a very tenuous situation, tremendous pressure on this in Israel and claims that it's going to break laws and, and proselytize in ways that it can't. But again, God TV went through this in a righteous process. They're saying, hey, if you want to take us off the air, there's a righteous process to follow. We have legal backing for what we're saying. And they want everyone to pray for Israel, bless Israel, not be angry with the people of Israel. But let's pray that this door will stay open. We'll be right back with your questions. Oh God of burning, cleansing flame, send the fire. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the line of fire, 866-34-TRUTH, on this thoroughly Jewish Thursday. For the moment, what's happened with Shalana TV and the message and the promo video and all this is, is just suddenly gotten incredible publicity in Israel. So Ward is thrilled with that because they're on their air to reach people with a message. But again, open, forthright from the start, didn't come in. In a deceptive way. See, that's a problem. When you come in deceptively and now the truth comes out, well, now you look bad. So put the cards on the table. Be who you are. That's what they've done. And Lord's made plain, hey, we're, we are not tiptoeing in and saying, hey, well, we'll just do other programming or just programming. No, no, that's their purpose. They believe God's opened the door. So let us pray for God's hand in the matter. 866-34-TRUTH. And let's go to Lavetta. In Winston-Salem, North Carolina, welcome to the Line of Fire. Yes, thank you very much, sir, and God bless you. Thank you. For for taking my call. I live here in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and I've spoken to a couple of Jewish people about Jesus and Christianity. And they um, tell me that they do not like Christians. Well, not, they don't dislike them either, but they don't believe in Christianity. They, Jesus' mother, Mary, was not married, married to Joseph. She had him illicitly or whatever, you know, that wasn't his father, that he was, is not the Messiah. Um, as a matter of fact, some of them even go a little bit further to say that, um, he uh, he is um, going to burn in hell, and so are all of us Christians. It sounds like they believe somewhat akin to what the Islamics sort of believe. But can you explain to and I, I say Jesus is a Jew or from the Essene tribe or whatever, but. 
one. Yeah, Levetta, it's it's kind of interesting that yes. yeah, it's it's interesting that the Jews that you met have some of these views. But uh, let let me answer broadly first. The vast majority of Jewish people don't believe in Jesus because they've never considered it. They've never looked at it or examined it. They don't think he's for them. Like if I said to your average Christian, why don't you believe in Buddha or Muhammad? It's not that you've studied the Quran or studied the teachings of Buddha. It's just that's them. We don't believe that. We're Christians. So your average Jew says, well, that's, that's for the others. We have our own faith. We have our own religion. It's important to us to maintain that. And the Christians, they can believe what they believe, and the Muslims, what they believe. So the vast majority of Jews never considered it, never looked at it. That's one thing. The second thing is, if you're raised in a traditional Jewish home, you believe that when the Messiah comes, he'll establish peace on the earth, he will destroy uh, the wicked, uh, he will do various things on behalf of Israel and the world, and because that has not yet happened— then you say, well, obviously Jesus wasn't the Messiah. So the other prophecies and things like that, you're not even aware of. So first, you probably don't consider whether he's really the Messiah. Second, if you're raised in a traditional home, then your thought is, well, uh, he's obviously not the Messiah because he didn't do what the Messiah is supposed to do. Then, uh, if you have studied church history, you know that often through church history that professing Christians mistreated Jews and that there were many Christians in Nazi Germany that were complicit with the Nazis. So uh, church history is stuff that you often have a, a very negative view of Christians and Christianity. So you think if there's any faith on the earth that's not God's faith, it's that faith. And then there are these Jewish traditions that allege that, that Jesus was, was born illegitimately. But remember, that, that accusation is already found in the New Testament, in John 8, and elsewhere, it's implied that Jesus was born in sexual immorality. I mean, the virgin birth, we're going to believe that? You know, some, some lady comes home and tells her, her, her fiancé, hey, I'm pregnant, but it, nobody touched me. It's, it was virgin birth. No one's going to believe that. So that was not believed in the, by the critics and still not believed today by the critics. And then there would be some Jews, but a, a minority that would say that Christians are going to burn in hell for believing in Jesus. The vast majority of Jews would think that's fine for Christians. You want to believe in him, that's fine, but we don't. Uh, I've written five volumes on answering Jewish objections to Jesus. But what I'd encourage you to do, Levetta, is if you're able to go to my YouTube channel, Ask Dr. Brown, A-S-K-D-R Brown, and then type in my name and debate rabbi and you'll see some of the debates I've had with rabbis where we go back and forth and they present their arguments and I present mine. And the best thing you can do is pray that God would open hearts and minds. Thankfully, there are several hundred thousand Jews on the planet who believe Jesus is the Messiah. I'm one of them. So uh, may the Lord give you a burden and give you open doors to share the gospel. Hey, thank you for the question. I appreciate it. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's go to Kathy in New Mexico. Welcome to the line of fire. Thank you, Dr. Brown, and thank you for being such a great defender of our faith. Faith. Thank well, thank you. you. Uh, um, I have a simple little question here. Um, um, uh, I can figure it out myself. Uh, so when Moses uh, uh, died in the Old Testament, yeah. and his body was argued over by, uh, in, in Jude uh, by Michael the archangel and Satan, mm -hmm. he said, the Lord rebuke you. 
Uh, my question is, is it possible that God resurrected him physically into heaven, say like um, the other two, and, as he will be most likely one of the human witnesses with Elijah in the tribulation that has to be slain again? Okay, so yeah, a, a lot of speculation there, but legitimate speculation based on some very interesting verses. So we know that the Lord buries Moses, right? Uh, and right. that the Israelites didn't bury Moses. And it, it seems, you know, the logical explanation for that would be that if they knew where he was buried, it might have become some type of shrine, you know, or they might have venerated him and made him into some saint after his death or who knows what. So it seems there is a reason for that. Now, is there another reason? In other words, is there a purpose over his future body? Or will he be resurrected in the future? There's no evidence that he's resurrected and taken to heaven. It seems clear that the first one to, to go to heaven in a resurrected body is the Messiah, is the Son of God. So Elijah being translated, Enoch being translated, we would take that. They didn't receive glorified bodies. They, they, they physically left this world, and then they spiritually entered uh, the heavenly kingdom. There's no evidence that they received resurrected bodies at that point or that Moses was resurrected. We can make a strong argument that the first one, the first fruits of those resurrected physically from the dead, never to die again, is Jesus the Messiah. But will there be some future purpose for a, a physical Moses and a physical Elijah or Enoch? You know, there, these things are, are debated. Uh, at the end of the age, will there literally be two witnesses? That's debated. You know, the two witnesses did I speak of a, a symbolically of a prophetic people. Is it speaking necessarily of individuals? That's debated. But in, in, that, in the case of what you're suggesting— that there was a future purpose for the body of Moses. Uh, could it be that that's, um, that's why there was a dispute? It's, it's possible. I, I just want to read. I, I mean, to me, it, it would be unlikely, but it's possible. I just want to read to you um, in Craig Keener's IVP Bible background commentary where it talks about um, the dispute over the body of Moses in Jude. So I just want to grab that specific verse for you, and just uh, because Craig is an expert at giving ancient background, so let's just see um, verse in Jude. Yeah, okay. So starting in verse nine. So let's just read what what Craig says there. Uh, mentions Michael and Gabriel are the only two angels named in the Old Testament. They naturally become the two most popular angels in contemporary Jewish lore, meaning in the ancient world. Uh, with Michael as Israel's guardian and generally the most prominent archangel. Then he says, Jewish traditions about Moses' death or lack of it, despite Deuteronomy 34, varied widely. And this report seems to have been one of these versions. In the Old Testament Jewish literature, the devil acted as an accuser. Here the great archangel Michael did not challenge his accusations. He deferred the issue to God, the supreme judge. God's angelic messenger also cries, the Lord rebuke you in defending the high priest, Zechariah 3.2. But bottom line, we don't have data beyond what's written as far as the dispute about the body of Moses, what it was over. So you raise a possibility. Let's just say it's a possibility because Moses will in the future be resurrected. Uh, again, I, 
I say he's not been resurrected, but in the future could be resurrected and come back as a final end time witness. It's possible. I don't think so personally, but it's possible based on the imagery of Revelation, the 11th chapter. Hey, thank you. Thank you for thinking about these things. And, and by the way, this is, this is the kind of stuff that's perfectly legitimate to wonder about as you're studying Scripture. Like, hmm, that's an interesting, that's an odd, wow, I don't, okay, could that be a connection? And ask the questions and study and dig, and sometimes you make these amazing discoveries, sometimes you hit dead ends, and sometimes you end with, hmm, we still have a question. All right, we've got some phone lines open. If you want to call in with a Jewish-related question, comment, 866-348-7884 is the number to call. A whole lot more to come your way. Stay right here. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. This is Michael Brown. Welcome to Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Just a reminder that we were scheduled to be in Israel. Would have been just a few days. Can you believe that? We had about 100 people going, just a limit of of two buses for a special, wonderful, intimate tour of the land and special time together every night. And, well, obviously because of the virus, we had to postpone the trip. Not cancel, but postpone. So we have postponed it to October, which is also a wonderful time of the year to be in Israel. And all about... A little less than half of the people have had to cancel out because it doesn't work for them, which means we're going to have a lot of open seats that we'll be able to fill out. I trust they're going to fill quickly, and some folks will probably re-register to get back in once their schedule clears. But uh, we'll be announcing the details very soon, and if you want to come to Israel with us, God willing, everything will be fully back to normal at that time. So it's just it's, it's wonderful. You say, well, it's, I'm not into this political stuff. It's not a political trip. It's a biblical trip. It's really not political. It's not Palestinian bashing and exalting Israelis. It's a biblical trip. It's to connect you with the events of Scripture, with the people of Scripture, with the reality of Scripture. And as often as I've been to Israel and, and as often as i prayed at the Kotel, the wall, the Western Wall, I, every time I have the opportunity to, to go there with a, a, a group of tourists, like, can you, be- can you believe this? And then different, you know, I think the first day we're, we're normally at Mount Carmel and I do a teaching there about when Elijah called down fire from heaven at Mount Carmel and we look out over Armageddon. It's just, it's just something about it. Something, the reality, the reality of the past strikes, which makes the present all the more real, which makes the future all the more real. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go back to Winston-Salem, North Carolina. James, welcome to the line of fire. Yes, hello, Dr. Brown. How are you today? Are you there, sir? Can you hear me? James. I guess couldn't hold. Okay. Sorry about that. That means we just open up a phone line for someone else. 
Uh, let us go over to Indiana. Bruce, welcome to the line of fire. Thank you, Dr. Brown. Hello, Bruce. I have, uh, Are you there? Read, All right. Uh, we didn't have something just happen to our, our uh, phone system, did we? I hope not. No settings changed or anything like that. So maybe Bruce is still there. Let's try one more. If not, something happened to our phone system. Uh, James in Arizona, are you there? Yes, this is James. Can you hear me? Okay. I would say something seems to have just happened to our phones uh, because everybody's there. Was a button pushed? Did something happen? Uh, I'm going to try one more just to see what's going on. And, and uh, don't hang up if you're there. Don't hang up. We'll figure out what's going on. Uh, but let's go to Brian in Ohio. Can you hear me? Hey, that's me here. Okay. So something uh, you can hear me, but I can't hear you. So guys in the studio there in Winston-Salem, something's up. Uh, the issue's definitely on your end. Uh, this has happened before, but we got our phone lines jammed, and I can't get to anybody's questions. Oh, I hate that. This happened a few weeks ago, uh, so we need you to get this fixed in a big hurry. Okay, so everybody stay there. If you're on, I guess I hung up on one person. Sorry, I hung up, and, and, and I saw the question posted and all the scriptures you want to talk about, but I, I didn't know what you meant by the question. Okay, here's, um, let, let's, let's try and go back to James in Arizona. Are you there, James? Yes, this is James in okay, Arizona. You can hear me, but I can't hear you. However, I see your question on my screen, which is how do Jews interpret Numbers 2417? So what you really mean is how do traditional Jews, religious Jews, those who take the scriptures as God's word, how is Numbers 2417 interpreted? Uh, so let's first read the verse, Numbers chapter 24 at 17. This is in the last oracle of Balaam, okay? 24, 17, and here's what is prophesied. So Balaam sees this. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the people of Sheth. Eden will be conquered, Seir, his enemy will be conquered, but Israel will grow strong. A ruler will come out of Jacob and destroy the survivors of the city. So, <clears throat> how is that understood? Traditional Judaism, for example, Maimonides and others, see this as speaking of David and the Messiah. I see him, David, but not now, the Messiah. I behold him. David, but not near the Messiah. So this is this is understood. This is understood to be a prophecy of David to come, and then the ultimate David, the Messiah in the future. Some would read it just as a prophecy of the Messiah. But what's interesting is that this is an example of what we call the prophetic perfect. Okay, perfect is is a verbal tense meaning. Past, completed, okay? Past or completed action. So the Hebrew, which I'll, I'll just read for you, um, 
Erenu velo ata, ashurenu velo karov. So I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. Darach kochav miyakov. So the verb darach is past tense, okay? Darach is past tense. The, a, a, uh, a star will rise. It's, it's literally tread, okay? Uh, but it's past tense. Why is it in past tense? Because the prophet sees it as if it already happened. But you say it as future. He will arise. But the prophet says, I've seen him rise. It's already happened. It was called prophetic perfect. And rabbinic commentators point to this verse as prophetic perfect. It's not just a Christian view that the prophets sometimes use prophetic perfect. So we look at Isaiah 8. A child has been born to us. A son has been given to us. That's past tense. It's seen as if it's already happened, but it's a prophecy of the coming Messiah. All right, uh, let's try once more. Uh, James in Winston-Salem, are you there, sir? I'm here this time. Okay. Can you hear me? Um, <clears throat> here's what I need you to do, folks. Uh, Howard just needs you to get me full questions there written out, and I apologize once again to all of our callers that there's a glitch somehow in the system that has arisen again and uh, we'll fix it and we will move on and we will be able to uh, get your calls but something just changed from our first call to the rest uh, and we'll need you to get that fixed immediately all right uh brian in Iaho, Iaho, Iaho. now it's gotten to me Ohio, Iaho, and the great country of Iaho, <clears throat> Ohio, has asked me about Rabbi Frankel's prediction of a civil war in the U.S. Am I familiar with it? No. So I'm just going to type in Rabbi Frankel prediction, civil war. And Jewish chaplains, Rabbi William Franklin, Brooklyn. Uh, uh, okay, here we are. This must be what you're asking about. So I'm not familiar with this, but I, I did I did see the article, but I just didn't read it. I did see this headline a few days ago. So uh, this is from uh, this is from the Jewish Press, which is Orthodox Jewish publication, and it's April 29th. Uh, Brooklyn Hasidic Rebbe calls for massive aliyah, so massive immigration to Israel before it's too late. Uh, Rabbi Chaim Yaakov Frankel from Brooklyn, known as the Riminover Rebbe, in 2015 issued an unequivocal order for Jews to leave their homes in the diaspora, so outside of Israel, and immigrate to Israel before a civil war breaks out in the United States. An heir of Menachem Mendel of Rimanov, one of the early promoters of the Hasidic movement in Poland, goes on. He's been active in recent years on social media, especially with his talks on YouTube, which often talk on the coming of Mashiach, the coming of Messiah. Uh, according to the Bechadre Haredim, so this is an a, a ultra-Orthodox outlet, while visiting South American and French Jews who moved to Florida, Rabbi Frankel was extremely specific about the urgent need to make Aliyah now. Leave while it's possible. Things will get worse, and it will be difficult to move from one country to another. Actually, I did read this. I did read this. Um, after World War II, the survivors came and asked why the Gedolim, the great rabbis, 
and the Rebis, the Hasidic leaders, did not order European Jews to leave while there was still time and emigrate to Israel or the United States before the war broke out. Rabbi Frankel told the small audience following the morning prayer service, truth be told, they, the Rebis, said, and then some, they begged the Jews to flee the scorched earth, but part of the decree, meaning divine judgment, was that the Jews didn't listen. Today, he said, listen to me well, dear Jews, whoever can afford to rise and ascend to the Holy Land should uh, as soon as possible, and this includes large parts of South America, most of Europe. The U.S. will also become a dangerous place mired in war, and it is still too early to tell which U.S. state will survive, but many parts will be destroyed and poisoned, and a civil war will break out within the United States, and states will secede from the federal government. The U.S. will no longer be a place of refuge, but there will be a Jewish remnant here. The land of Israel will be the safest place to survive the war, even though there will be terrible difficulties there as well. Uh, what do I make of that? It's very interesting. Very interesting for sure. Uh, is it a prophecy of what's coming? Well, if so, I'm not looking for him to be the one to bring that word. In, in other words, that would be based on natural observation of what could be coming or a sense of the fragmenting that's taking place in America. And let me just say this. If there was a civil war and, and we broke up as states, there would definitely be some places in America that would be some of the safest places in the world for Jews because of a strong evangelical Christian base and a love and support for Israel and the Jewish people. But could there be a massive unraveling coming? And the sooner Jews get out of here and get back to Israel, the better. That could happen. It's happened in other countries. There's no reason why it couldn't happen here. All the more reason that evangelicals need to be true to their roots and stand with Israel and pray for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But thanks for bringing that to the attention of our listeners and viewers, Brian. Sorry I can't interact with you directly on it, but those are my comments. Thanks for asking. All right, we'll be right back. Join us for It's the Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome to the Line of Fire. Shalom, Shalom. By the way, Shalom, Shalom is used several times in the Bible. Peace, peace, for example, in Jeremiah 6, Jeremiah 11. They superficially treat the fracture of my people. They more Shalom, 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 saying, Shalom, Shalom, all is well, all is well. When nothing is well. Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Or Isaiah 26, Yetzer Samuch, Titzor Shalom, Shalom, Kivachaba Tuach. Uh, the mind set on you, you keep in shalom, shalom, perfect peace, because it trusts in you. Right, before we try to go back to the phones, a fascinating article from Israel. Um, and, and it says, this Times of Israel, influential rabbi claims ultra-Orthodox, meaning ultra-Orthodox Jews, more prone to God's COVID-19 wrath. And this article, which is critical, 
says ultra-Orthodox Jews receive harsher punishment for sins than secular Jews, Gershon Edelstein says in the latest attempt to blame pandemic on anything but science. So here is a highly esteemed ultra-Orthodox rabbi, one of the most revered in Israel. And he's trying to explain why there's a much higher percentage of sickness and death in the ultra-Orthodox Jewish community compared to the Israeli population as a whole. As we've mentioned before, ultra-Orthodox community makes up about 12% of the population and yet makes up 40 to 50% of the hospital cases and fatalities. Why? Well, the answers are obvious in the natural. One, that some of the communities were slow to follow the guidelines. Two, that so much of what they do, they do communally. Three, they have large families living in small quarters. And four, in their neighborhoods, their families one on top of the other in terms of living closely next to each other. So uh, the reality is this makes it much easier for the disease to spread in their midst. But for the rabbi, looking at this from a spiritual perspective, there must be another reason. What's the other reason? Well, he says that these, the, the, the non-religious Jews are in the category of what's called tinok shenishba, which is literally a, a child, a tinok, a child shenishba that was captured. So a child born in captivity, he says, they are not guilty. Their sin is an inadvertent sin, but this is not applied to ultra-Orthodox, so the divine attribute of judgment affects the ultra-Orthodox more. In other words, that God is more strictly punishing the ultra-Orthodox Jews with this virus. Another highly esteemed rabbi said it's because of gossip in their community. So they're being judged more strictly. You know, the New Testament concept, First Peter 4, judgment begins with the house of God. They're being judged more strictly than the secular Israelis who are not born into religious homes. So they sin, but they are sinning more invertently, like a Jewish child who was born in captivity and raised in captivity would not have the Jewish education and background. Therefore, they're not as culpable. Now, because I didn't grow up in a traditional Jewish home, I was not uh, I was not familiar with the term Tinok Shenishba until it was applied to me. And I was told that while I was culpable for believing in Jesus, so that I was guilty of that, that was wrong, that I was not held responsible the way the, a religious Jew would have been because I was like a child, a Jewish child born in captivity because I was raised in a fairly nominal Jewish home I didn't receive a traditional Jewish education, and therefore I was not as responsible. So this is his spiritual way of saying that we are more responsible, therefore we get judged first. Whereas, look, there's a larger principle that, that's true in that regard, okay, to whom much is given, much is required. But I don't think that's the issue here. I think they're quite natural explanations for what happened. All right, let's try this one more time. Uh, Bruce in Indiana, are you there? Okay, it appears that we did not uh, solve our problem here. However, Bruce, I'm looking at your question. Uh, Daniel 9.29, is this God's covenant or President Trump's peace plan for Israel? Okay, Daniel 9.27, I can say with great confidence, has nothing whatsoever to do with President Trump's uh, peace plan for Israel. Zero. 
okay? This is something destructive, negative, and that either has to do with events that already took place with the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in the year 70. So it goes back to that, which is how I understand it. Or, as others would understand it, the 70th week, the last week of Daniel's 70 weeks spoken of in Daniel 9, 24 to 27, is still future, in which case it is some future covenant, antichrist covenant, something like that, that will then be followed by final destruction. Or, the possibility that it refers to events from the destruction of the temple and then parallel events at the end of the age. Either way, either way, uh, I absolutely do not, do not see any connection. Just making that clear. Now, is it God's covenant? So, let's look at the specific language, which is, which is very, very interesting. And, uh, it, it's a, it's an interesting verse. It's a fairly difficult verse. So in Hebrew, I want to read it in a few translations. So you're familiar with King James, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. So who's the he? Is that a Roman prince, leader? Is it the Messiah? Is it the Antichrist? Is it God? And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. Does that mean the Messiah? By dying for our sins, causes it to cease. Or Roman emperor marching in, attacking the temple, and they can't offer sacrifice anymore. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it even desolate, and even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So you can see difficult verse here. Uh, let me read it in the ESV. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Uh, Again, I'm just reading these. Here's a new Jewish version. During one week he will make a firm covenant with many. For half a week he will put a stop to the sacrifice and the meal offering at the comer Uh, At the corner of the altar will be an appalling abomination until the decreed destruction would be poured down upon the appalling thing. So you can see even all these different translations, it is challenging to understand. Uh, I look at this as a a sinful covenant, an earthly covenant, uh, something that brings seeming peace or that brings the Jewish people in bondage to someone else. Uh, because of which the sacrifice and offering at the temple ceased. So either something that happened in the first century or something that happened at the end of the age, or both, just as Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21 refer to events happened in the first century and at the end of the age. That can be disputed, but uh, uh, to tie this in with Trump's peace plan or something like that, no, I just see no possible connection. All right. Um, again, we will, our, our team will be figuring out uh, what happened uh, with our inability to take your call, especially tomorrow being your day to call in with any question. If if you're able to call in tomorrow, give another shot. I'm sure the glitch will be solved by then. I'm trusting it will. And if you try to call in today, we'll do our best to, to get to you earlier just out of deference uh, for us not being able to take your call. Um, just seeing if I can... Yeah, Mary and Charlotte, where did, who did Abel learn sacrifices from? I think it's just a natural understanding from the ancient human race that you, you 
want to offer something back to the deity in gratitude and honor and service, that it's just something that either is natural to human being in response or something that God put in the heart. Uh, but I don't think that Abel had a whole theology of the importance of blood or blood sacrifice being substitutionary. I mean, maybe he did. Maybe he thought, I've sinned and I'm offering this. But it doesn't, there's not that a connection with sin in Genesis 4 as much as something that's just offered up. Uh, all right, friends, I want to encourage you to stand with us, to partner with us. God's raised us up in a unique way that has played a key role in Jewish ministry. It's all to the honor of the Lord. It's all to his glory. It's all to his credit. But when I came to faith in 1971 and then the rabbis began to challenge me, we we did not have as a movement, as Jewish believers in Jesus, we did not have literature. We did not have apologetics put together in a systematic way to respond to the many objections of the rabbis. We didn't have folks that were ready to debate rabbis. So it was a very challenging thing for me to go through and find many fine Christian scholars, but, but none who really had the, the, the level of interaction with the Jewish community. Then Jewish believers were mainly involved in evangelism, not apologetics. So God helped me to pioneer this. It's all to his grace. It's all to his glory. In our day, writing five volumes on answering Jewish objections to Jesus and, and, and other materials, Real Kosher Jesus, now the Resurrection Book, and then doing public debates, putting out tape series, things like that back in the cassette days and in video teachings uh, to help train and equip others. Thank God for all the others that are doing it and, and others that are going beyond what I've done and, and, and doing amazing things. We're thrilled with that. But we continue to play a key role helping bring Jewish people to faith and helping establish Jewish people in faith. And we do it with your help and with your support. If you want to reach Jewish people in Israel, would you partner with us? Would you stand with us? If you want to help us reach Jewish people around the world, we're on the front lines doing it. Go to my website, askdrbrown, askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. Click donate. Stand with us today. Together we're making a difference. And be sure to sign up for our email list and get our free ebook, Seven Secrets of the Real Messiah.